An Evening with the Blizzard Football Quarterly, recorded on the 21st of March 2019 and hosted by Marcus Speller of the Football Ramble. We join the panel of Jonathan Wilson, Philippe Auclair and Miguel Delaney for the first half of our live Q&A in front of a packed audience at the Karma Sanctum Soho Hotel in London. Welcome to this Blizzard Brexit hustings. Um, it's the Karma Sanctum Hotel. Thank you very much for coming. My name is Marcus Speller uh, of the Football Ramble podcast. We have uh, a magnificent panel for you right now. Jonathan Wilson, of course, the man behind the Blizzard. I'm sure you're very familiar with his work, uh, written for many publications, uh, many uh, fantastic books out as well. Philippe Auclair, the, the, the biographer for Eric Cantona, Thierry Henry. Uh, and a uh, long-time contributor for France Football Magazine, among others as well. Uh, Miguel Delaney, um, the chief uh, football writer at The Independent, uh, and again, a uh, contributor to many, many a, a publication. And I, and I thought as well, for Miguel, just to get to know the man a little better, I'm just going to read this from his, his Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> Delaney has stated that he regularly plays football with his own markings, Michael Cox, and Twitter disputes about football between <laughs> the pair are not serious. Delaney has also Why had... Why is that in there? Uh, well, <laughs> don't, don't question it. It's Wikipedia. It's true. Um, Delaney has you, also you had... You wrote it, Miguel, anyway. <laughs> Delaney has also had a Twitter dispute with Father Ted creator Graham Linehan, who Delaney described as a cunt. <laughs> As of April 2018, Delaney was the most prolific Irish journalist on Twitter, averaging 59 tweets per day. If that doesn't deserve a round of applause along with the rest of the panel, I don't know what does, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what does. I think I remember, sorry Marcus, but I think we remember that we actually made the, the, that count and we realised that uh, Miguel had tweeted longer than the Bible and, remem oh yeah, like and, and remembrance of things past as well, put yeah. together. Like incredible. That. Apparently, if you put a load of monkeys and typewriters <laughs> in a room, they will eventually get to all of Miguel's tweets. Of course, Linehan's had to go with two independent writers now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah he had to go with Johnny after his, uh, his trans piece. My goodness. Yeah, well, the less said about that, the better, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> Let's keep it to football if we can. Um, this is a QA, and a everybody, so um, don't be shy with your questions. And what normally happens on these events is we, we start off people are a little bit shy maybe and at the end there's a forest of hands we can't get through you all. So I will open it to the floor in, in just a minute. Do not be shy. Do not uh, a, a bit like Theresa May. Don't delay on, uh, on what you want to do this evening. Um, let's start with, with a simple one just to get us going. Uh, gentlemen, a favourite moment from the European Championships or European Championship qualifying as, as it is now upon us. Jonathan, why don't you kick us off? Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to be incredibly self-aggrandizing, but it, it's my magazine. I don't care. Yeah. Um, so, year 96, mm -hmm. a big tournament. Um, I was doing my first year exams at university. Uh, and on the Saturday of the England-Scotland game, I had two Anglo-Saxon papers, uh, which is two too many, frankly. Um, so, one in the morning, which is fine, but then one in the afternoon. And so, the one in the afternoon was... Um, uh, translation, so you knew you're going to get certain set of texts, so you could just learn, learn the translation. So knowing it was England Scotland that afternoon, I learned. I worked harder for that than I ever worked for anything ever before. Learned the translations off by heart. Get into the exam hall, and um, it's it's at Oxford, so I'm wearing ridiculous, you know, mortar boards and all that nonsense, and um, yeah, see the first first three words, bang, write it down, write it down. So the, the papers meant to take two and a half hours. If you actually yeah, learned off by heart, it took about 20 minutes. So I'm then sitting there thinking, how soon are we going to let us get out? 
So that, well, I'll, I'll give it till I'll give it an hour. I gave it till forty minutes because only so long you can read your own <laughs> words. So I thought, Miguel, well, well, you want to comment on that? Sorry. <laughs> 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 read the back. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought, yeah. Wh- wh- what are they going to do if I leave? Are they going to actually stop me? Are they going to physically kind of hold me back? And uh, as I stood up. There was about ten other people who'd obviously done exactly the same thing, was waiting for somebody to make the move. <laughs> and ended up running through running through Oxford and my gown flapping behind me, running into college. I'd missed the first twenty five minutes or so, and then completely needlessly, taken with the spirit of the moment, I jumped through the window of a TV room and rolled over into position right in front of the telly. <laughs> and England won the game two nil. Two nil. Any England fans in? Yeah. Any Scotland fans in? Yeah. Any Kazakhstan fans in? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just one there. Uh, Philippe, uh, a, a favourite European Championship moment for you. Being uh, a Frenchman, there's a few. Well, there, there is. Some, it, it has to do with. Uh, there, there have been a few, but this one has got to do with uh, the first tournament that uh, France ever won, which is 1984. And the date is very easy to remember because it was the date of the, um, Briti- the Brexit referendum, 23rd of June. Oh, right. Yeah, 23rd of June, 1984, mm. when we didn't know what kind of shit was going to hit us <laughs> yet. And, by the way, it was the day before my birthday, because oh right. I'm 24th June, like Leo Messi. Uh-huh. The only thing we've got in common. <laughs> and it was that day, probably, I think, one of the... I mean, both emotionally mm. and in terms aesthetically and in terms of a football game, probably one of the greatest games I ever saw, which was France-Portugal. Mm. And um, for those of you who were not born at the time, um, France were desperate to get that first title. Platini was on fire, and so on. But Portugal, when the game g- got into extra time, st- led 2-1. Jordao, I think, scored the second goal. And then, miraculously, Jean-François Domergue equalized. And we're in the 114th minute, and we think it's going to be penalties again. Penalties again, it means we're thinking back, Sevilla 1982, this is going to be terrible. And 119th minute the most beautiful surge upfield of the man who'd never done it in his life, Jean Tigana, mm. who manages to square the ball to Michel Platini. He scores, and that's absolute heaven. And actually, it's funny. I'm, I'm wondering if w- this moment was not emotionally stronger than winning the World Cup in 98. Mm. That it, it felt really that something had happened. We couldn't lose against Spain. So that, that is very much my favorite I moment. Is any of that slightly compromised for you by your present feelings on Platini? Uh, I try to make <laughs> the <laughs> distinction between... For those of you who um, might have read the Blizzard for a while, I wrote a very, not very polite piece about Michel Platini. Strongly Platine. worded. Strongly worded mm. piece about Michel Platini. But I think you've got to make the difference between the guy who was an absolute genius uh, in 1984, scoring nine goals uh, for France, and the, pe- the person who afterwards became UEFA uh, president and uh, has basically disappeared. And uh, for the good of world football, well, m- maybe <laughs> because the guys in place are actually probably worse. There's always way back. Yeah, <laughs> his suspension ends in October of this year, so you never know. You might see Michel Platini back. Hey, that would be a that would be a it wouldn't be a welcome return, actually, would it? Um, Miguel, what about yourself as an Irishman, perhaps more of a limited? Uh, well, <laughs> and a half Spaniard. Oh, so of course so you we are. We of course we you are. We've got three of them. All three. And I'd, l- I'd love to say uh, Houghton against England, but actually I can't remember because I was four. <laughs> so I'd probably go for the one I was at, which is the first time I ever covered, and where I met Jonathan, for, for better or worse. Uh, Euro 2008. We will always have Vienna. We'll always have Vienna, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, uh, Torres, Torres' winner against Germany. Oh, 
But then also maybe from also because it was the end of my exams and it was such a great game. Eight years earlier, uh, Alfonso's goal against uh, Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the pure chaos of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah good one. Um, before we open it to the floor, I, I, I'd like to ask yourselves, just to get your thoughts on, while we're in the international um, chat, your thoughts on the, on the, the new and potentially improved FIFA Club World Cup, which has uh, come out in the press in the last few days. Gianni Infantino has, has struck gold again. And uh, this will be a new improved tournament. If you haven't seen it, 24 teams. I think 2021, I think, where it's rumoured to start. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting rid of the Confederations Cup. Um, so dry your eyes. And uh, or obviously they will uh, get rid of the current Club World Cup, which is happening every winter, which um, some of you may or may not be aware of. Um, uh, Philippe, what, what do you think of this? I mean, y- oh, it's y- a shambles. Yeah, I thought you might say that. It, it, it's, a, it's an absolute <laughs> shambles. I mean, it really bag of effect packet kind of competition of mm-hmm. idea the idea well the idea is basically to get as much money as possible mm-hmm. and it doesn't uh, sound like fifa does it <sighs> doesn't sound like jenny infantino does uh, it yeah. at all and I- it's also part of this great plan to uh, have a, a huge partnership with um, supposedly uh, unknown sponsors everybody knows is saudi arabia <laughs> via a japanese bank called softbank so 25 billion dollars deal so that's a lot of money to distribute around to make sure that you're president for the next four years mm. and um, it doesn't make abs- any sense uh, in fact none of this makes any sense because it's not the only thing you've got the club world cup with 24 teams and there have been calculations uh, which show that some of the players would have to play every 48 hours which is absolutely insane and because of that because we're in 2019 it's probably going to happen and so from 2021, despite the opposition of UEFA, despite the opposition of FIFPRO, the opposition of ECA, which is the club association, we're going to have a tournament, which is going to be an experimental tournament in 2021. And when you add to that the expansion of the World, Cl- the World Cup to, 20 to 48 teams in Qatar in 2022, plus the new Super Champions League, I don't know if you've read about that, but it's been leaked which is going to make, I think, everybody's blood freeze if you care about football. Um, you really are plus reaching... Plus the, the Nations re- League, plus the Global Nations League. Plus the Global Nations League. Mm-hmm. And, and it started... The, the moment comes when you're asking yourself, well, what the heck? Why am I following this game? Mm. Well, I mean, there's so many things wrong with, with the idea. So just, I mean, 24 teams is a bad number for a tournament. It just doesn't work. If Euros didn't work with 24 teams because you spent... Um, you had 36 games to lose. It's essentially, you know, if you, it, the best 16 teams in qualifying, there's only two different who actually went through to the last 16. So it leads to bloated, pointless tournaments and pointless games. Also, this £25 billion, pounds, um, ev- you know, even the, the weakest teams there are going to get £100 million, £200 million? Now, like if that. you take even, say, a well-established league like Argentina and give 100 million quid to Boca Juniors or River Plate, they win that league for the rest of time. Um, and imagine doing that in um, DR Congo. or it, that the, the, the impact of that money in that league will be way, way worse, yeah. way, way more, like way, way more impact than what we've seen, for instance, in Cyprus when Apoel got to the quarterfinal and got a fortune, or Maribor dominating the Slovenian league. It is that times... Whatever. So the one thing, the Argentinian league is pretty terrible in terms of quality, but it's tight. You know, it's, there, is, there is competition there. You take that away as well. 
the one thing about that as well, I mean, and you referred to this off air earlier, that it's basically destroying the pyramid of the game and I suppose yeah. the fabric of the, fabric of the game. But to an extent, not not to be supporting this competition in any way, but rather this could be what actually finally brings what is probably coming down the tracks anyway, because football as is is arguably unsustainable in terms of the amount of focus and thereby the amount of cash on the top clubs now has gotten to the point where I've, ta- I've talked to people who've, who work at clubs, even on a government level, there's an estimation that in the next 10 years, half of the clubs in League One and League Two, just w- a bit like the regional press, they won't be able to survive in the current form. And it, it will prob- in England alone, it will probably make a system where it's almost like the NFL, where there's a Premier League and then there's beyond that kind of feeder system, but no actual football structure anymore. And it, it does just, I mean, from, from one perspective, what this does, as bad an idea as it is, is just hasten what's going to come anyway. I hope you're all feeling reassured and uh, well, what an uplifting start. Positive about the future of world football. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Um, any questions? Any questions? Open to the floor. Yes, man on the back jumper. Okay, so obviously we don't have a microphone, so I will repeat. If, you, if you're at the back and you want to ask a question, d- do shout. But um, the question here is, if, as if the tone couldn't go any lower, uh, I- w- let me get you right. Is there any way to cover Cristiano Ronaldo? Is there an exceptional, a- acceptable way to cover Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment? Miguel? Well, we were going to get to that because mm. I, it was something I thought about last mm. week where suddenly it, it was a bit disconcerting. You couldn't but praise him for what he did in the pitch against Atletico Madrid, you know, typical Ronaldo's play. But yet, the gushing terms about him in the context, w- with actually with no contextualization over what's going on <laughs> in in the rest of his life, was actually remarkable, and it did it left a bit of a taste or b- a bad taste. But to a certain degree, we are like I say, the media in that sense is kind of compromised because <laughs> there is an almost an absurdity if, you, if he's referred to in every sentence as who is currently uh, you know has the has the allegation against him. If, if there's always a couching of it, uh, but. Yeah, it is, it is extremely difficult. But, uh, but I, I did think that the the praise, at, at the very least, should have at least been awarded. We shouldn't have been talking about him as some kind of superhero. At the, hmm. which Jonathan, would, you would you agree with that? The, the, yeah, the, the praise I, I just think it's, it's incredibly difficult because I, I know exactly what Miguel means. It did feel you know, slightly... Um, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it felt something wrong about writing that kind of stuff. But then you know, we got word counts as a limit to what... Yeah, how, mu- how much space we have. Also, we don't have the um, Spiegel documents. We yeah, we don't have the Spiegel documents. He, he he hasn't been charged with anything, which makes things... I mean, yeah. if he is charged, obviously, then becomes... We, we just can't yeah. talk about it. Um, but the truth is, we don't know. We haven't a clue. I mean, it's an ongoing investigation. that happened nine years ago. We, got, we have no way of investigating. We have I no way of knowing what's going on. And I, I would add something to that, is the fact that there are people that we praise um, routinely whom we know have done some very bad things and which we can't write at all about because there are things which would be libelous and we know they've happened within the game. It could have to do with personal life. It could have to do with drugs. It could have to do with gambling. It could have to do with many things. And we know these things are true, but we cannot print them. So in the case of Ronaldo, which is strange because the allegations were first published in the Spiegel and couldn't be taken on by the British press, by the way, because there would be, uh, you would have been uh, sued for libel. And now it's uh, sort of possible to do it, uh, taking a lot of uh, precautions. But this kind of, I wouldn't call that double standards. In this particular case, I don't think we've got much of a choice. Uh, You can remind people sometimes uh, of the context in which this is happening. And perhaps, like Miguel says, 
you've got to be perhaps a little bit more cautious in your praise and transforming this man into a, a super role model. Well, I think that's exactly it. And as long as you talk purely about the football, I think it is fair enough. It's when you get the very sort of soft features about him, soft previews, uh, so soft profiles of him, that's when I think it becomes really um, worrying, damaging. Yeah, I mean, what struck about last Tuesday was it as well is that there was a lot of legacy talk in terms of kind of his Champions League. And like ultimately, when it, when it comes right down to it, especially if this story develops, that legacy could be extremely compromised. So I in that sense, actually, it's really hard to separate. If you're talking about him in historic terms, because this um, could well end up something that colours his entire career. Or it, it should o could always have that, that asterisk there. Well, I mean, if he's guilty, then yeah. you know, his career should not be talked about, really. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of, you know, it, it's... I mean, to say it taints it is, is not, not even strong enough, is it? It's... But I mean, I mean, without getting into specifics of the, of the law and that, it's hard to see it actually going further, do you reckon? Well, I mean, it's very hard to get convictions mm -hmm. in rape cases mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, and in a nine-year-old case, I think, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really know what's even being investigated now. I don't, I don't know where that's going, but... You don't yeah. even know what the court can accept as being receivable, um, which is perhaps one of the reasons why it hasn't gone to court yet, or it hasn't been charged, because there was an NDA signed, there was a, an agreement of some kind, which you could take as an admission of guilt, but which you could also take as an admission of being, I don't know, uh, threatened and the lesser evil. Um, so it is extraordinarily difficult, but this is a problem which is not just to do with Cristiano Ronaldo himself, even though we're talking about you know one of the giants of the modern game and so forth, but it's something that we have to face, I think, almost every day in our, in, in well our work. It's also where you see uh, the issues of a sort of globalised world, where and football is perhaps presents this more obviously than, than almost anything else, where we're dealing with legal systems that don't overlap, mm, yeah. with libel laws that don't overlap. So what you can publish in De Spiegel, we, we can't publish here. Yeah. So it, it becomes incredibly fraught and incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, any other questions that are about stuff we can talk about and that don't suggest football's going to the dogs? Yes, <laughs> that <laughs> man right there. Like it. Is Solskjaer actually good enough to manage Manchester uh, At United? the moment he is, isn't he? He's doing very well at the moment. I've just seen the results. Is it... Yeah, is it, I mean, of course, is it a narrative or is it a tactical uh, genius? The, the word tactical was used, so should we turn left? Yeah, and genius, yeah. <laughs> Miguel, oh, genius, what that's, oh, sorry. Oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, OK, but well, Philip, he, he masterminded um, uh, a wonderful night in Paris, of course, uh, against PSG. And you in particular... <laughs> enjoyed this and to be honest with you Philippe, I think any neutral uh, fan should want Paris Saint-Germain to lose as much as possible <laughs> I think you'd agree I with that I think it's quite correct yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's, it, it, it was a wonderful result for, for his Manchester United but what about you know tactical genius it was uh, I, I agree with do that. you think it was lucky well Scott well, McTominay in the centre of that midfield. Just, just before, before Come on. <laughs> Did you not see him today against Kazakhstan? Before, before, sorry, um, just, just, just on that. I don't, don't know if, I don't know if anybody watched that game today. Um, but something that really pisses me off at modern football is kids with kind of these signs saying, please can I have your shirt, Cristiano, Mr. Wilson, yeah. But uh, no, you can, uh, nobody can have my shirt tonight. No, 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 it's no. literally the only one I've got. We put a ban um, on it, yeah. But there in, in, um, in Kazakhstan, there's, there's somebody clutching with... This sign, so McTominay came on about 20 minutes to go. Somebody in the, in the crowd holds up this sign saying, um, Mr. McTominay, I am big fan of Kazakhstan. Please, can I have your shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Well, current Manchester United Player of the Year, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, lest we forget. Uh, yeah, so Philippe, uh, tactical genius? Um, genius, no, but certainly very competent. Um, 
No, I'm absolutely competent. Um, I think we, we judged him perhaps a little bit too uh, eagerly and too quickly on yeah. the basis of what he had done at Cardiff and what had happened there with a, a squad that certainly was not the one that he could play this kind of football with. Yeah. But what about what he did at Mulder? Talk us but through the people that. <laughs> well, what did he do at Mulder? Lars isn't here. And, uh, well, we need Lars. Uh, I mean, I talked to, to talk Christian uh, Carlson about it and who actually said, you know, you should have seen what he did with this team. It was actually remarkable. He made them play an incredibly energetic kind of football, uh, even though Mulder is the equivalent of PSG in the Norwegian League. I mean, they're sponsored by these musicians, uh, very, very wealthy musicians. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they they have basically uh, the league to themselves when they want to. But he did some uh, remarkable work there. And he's shown, I mean, some very, I'm not talking about tactics here, but some very impressive qualities, which are not just man management or the fact that he's not Jose Mourinho. Mm. Uh, he's shown that he could listen to other people the way that it's, it seems to be a collegial kind of uh, management with Mike Phelan and, and Carrick. Uh, some of the tactical coup he's uh, also staged you know the way he's deployed Paul Pogba um, the way he's uh, I don't know he's organized this team and I, I, I don't say anything there that suggests he's not yeah. a competent manager we'll see later I mean I think it's much too early how many games is it now it's 18 isn't it? 18? Yeah, 18 well Miguel what do you make it well I, I, I think I think regardless of the narrative as you mentioned he has done better than anyone's expected I think and shown more qualities than anyone's expected and I think it's got to the point where I actually think he's got the job, to be honest, from what a lot of people are saying. And it's got to the point where I'd be brave to not give him the job. But if I, in some bizarre world where if I had a decision and a gun was put to my head, I wouldn't give it to him. Because I think from the start, this season, it's not a free pass, but it's so much, e it's so much easier to come into a situation like that and kind of just navigate it and do little touches here and there. I think it's going to be a completely different situation from next season, a completely different pressure. Um, and... And despite how well he's done this season, despite Molde, he's still a bit, he's still there's still that inexperience there. And I think what United are, they need more of a proven force as a manager. Not, and maybe more someone not like, not like Ruben Hal, for example. No, no. Yeah. Well, the, the the other side of the spectrum, or sorry, the other side of the, of the career surge. Mm. Someone someone on the up, and I, which is why I think yeah, Tottenham fans won't like this. But if th they should have gone for Pochettino still, uh, well, maybe they will. Jonathan, do you have an opinion on Schalchow? Yeah, no, well, I, um, I think what you've seen with him, and it, this, this is something that um, I'm sort of becoming increasingly aware of, that part of management is taking the narrative and, and, and writing it. Um, and your ta tactics are part of that. So what happened in Paris was extraordinary, and yet somehow you could feel it being about to happen. So as soon as they got the second goal, I mean, they were getting battered at 1-1, but as soon as they got the second goal, you saw PSG begin to panic. They started to think, oh, God, this is happening again. <laughs> so it's partly PSG's narrative, but you, know, uh, you as the opposition manager have every right to, to ride that narrative as well. Yes. Um, Solskjaer's living in this sort of eternal 1999, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is you know, a great thing for him. And if he can do it in Barcelona as well, it's an even I'll better thing. Well. <laughs> but what, what I loved in that second half was that PSG had a bit of pressure at first, so five, ten minutes of, of the half. And you saw him on the touchline giving instructions, go to a 5-4-1, we'll, 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 we'll keep it at 2-1, and then the last ten minutes, we'll, we'll go for it. And we'll mm. see, you know, we'll see if, if, if this incredibly neurotic team succumbs again. And sure enough, they, they did. did. Yeah. And, and whatever you think about the penalty, whatever you think about whether that should have been given or not, the fact is that a player running from midfield has a free shot on goal, 
and the defender turns his back on him and doesn't close him down properly. And I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's sort of some kind of you know, mental aberration. He, he scored a person as Kimpembe. That's well, the yeah, word you were looking who for. Who should have been sent off in the first leg. But um, I, 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 when, when that happened, I, I, you know, my initial reaction, as everybody else was, was, oh, it's a corner. Yeah. But I thought they would score from a corner. Yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as well, I mean, beyond the kind of superficialities of writing the narrative, I think I, I think it has. I don't think it is superficial. But, but no, no, I, I agree. I, I think that I is what I part of what management is. I think it has a tangible effect because it, I was at both of PSG's massive collapses, and for the first one against Barcelona the day before, we were at Unai Emery's press conference. I, I think Unai Emery is actually a perfectly acceptable technical coach, but he kind of lacks that charisma. And the day before that game, there was a few of us in there. I remember we were all struck by how it looked like he was petrified of the idea of Barca coming back and sure enough it happened um, and with, with Solskjaer though it was the complete opposite where straight from the off he was talking and it, it, it wasn't just kind of empty terms of belief and United and comebacks it was, it was actually radiating a conviction they could do it but beyond that he actually started to talk through how it could happen yeah. and, and, and I mean and what he said exa- yeah. it happened exactly yeah, exactly. And, and I think actually from, from again talking to people around the club that, that actually had an effect on the players as well because then they start to I mean you're getting the kind of coaching terminology and all this sort of thing but they started to visualise what could happen and it did actually help what happened on the pitch again, can you imagine when we're coming back from Liverpool on a Sunday night in 20 years and we, we get the sparkle on as we always do <laughs> And the question comes up, can you name a midfield <laughs> that Manchester United played against PSG that day? Can you name it now? Ashley yeah. Young, <laughs> McTominay, Fred and Pereira. There you go. Right. But, but that was an effort. But who yeah. came on? Uh, Dallas. There you see. I, to be honest Pretty with you, good. Jonathan, I'm, I'm quite stunned you didn't get a round of applause there. But there we are. It's a tough crowd. <laughs> are we going to laugh at PSG now? We, well, we can have a laugh at PSG whenever you want. Um, but to answer the question, tactical genius, probably not, but... You know, better than than, than, w- than we might think. Um, before we laugh at PSG, there's a there's a lovely chap there who wants to ask a question. Um, the Spurs Stadium was it just a massive clusterfuck? Was there? Yes. Yeah. No, no swearing from the audience, please. Sabotage. Was the Spurs Stadium? So it's a kind of a stadium equivalent of the lasagna. It could well be. Like Spurs Stadium. Was it um, to use uh, your words uh, a clusterfuck? Was it uh, a sabotage? Uh, does it even exist? Um, <laughs> does, does anybody have... Well, I hope it does, because we're supposed to go there on the, the 3rd of April. Uh, they keep putting it back. It's like Brexit. Just keep going. No, it's locked keep in going. now. Lo- locked in now. <laughs> Sorry? It's locked in now. Well, it's what? The Spurs Stadium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're playing Crystal Palace, yeah, and, yeah. and, and we're going to leave uh, the European Union. Um, anybody have any uh, words on the Spurs Stadium? Um, to be honest, I, I don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, because like everybody else, I think I'm a bit nonplussed as to why we've had all these delays. Yeah, yeah. Um, which seems to be linked to uh, problems by you know, the construction companies. And I don't think there's any sabotage in there. <laughs> I, I think uh, what surprised me, to be honest, was the optimism yeah. of Tottenham when they started the project and when they said it will be ready at this time. And um, I'm an Arsenal fan, as everybody knows. I remember the Emirates, what happened, it took time. And... Uh, and I was thinking, wow, if they can turn this around in so little time, it's fantastic. And actually, at the time, it felt unbelievable when we were going to Spurs to White Hart Lane and we could see the new stadium growing literally outside, mm. like some kind of huge, I don't know, some kind of weird mushroom or growth yeah. tumor. Um, you are an Arsenal fan, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> and No, but it was very impressive. Oh, okay. And you thought, well, they might be able to do that. And I'm just wondering if there ha- hasn't been a little bit of a case of hubris in this particular yeah. case. 
So there we are. I'm just gutted there's no cheese room. Where did I, I don't understand. Are you talking about here or Spurs Stadium? Anywhere, anywhere yeah, I go, yeah. I fucking love cheese. That's but the like big where did that story Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did that story come from? If it was never meant planned to be a cheese room, why was everybody reporting a cheese room? <laughs> I, I, we've, we've touched a nerve, Jonathan. I think we should move <laughs> on very, very swiftly. Any more questions? Uh, from yes, a man on the table here. What's gone wrong with German football, national football, club football in the last few years? Just calling Graf. Yeah, please do. Uh, I mean, yeah, the disastrous World Cup. But would you say, Miguel, this uh, is a, this is a, a problem at club level, or do you just think uh, it was a bad World Cup and they need to regroup it into? Uh, I mean, I had, to, I had to do a piece in this last week actually because I was at the Bayern game, the Bayern Liverpool game, mm. and yeah, you're right. I mean, there's dis I mean, the, the national team's in disarray. The, the club football, the clubs are have performed poorly in, in yeah. Europe by Eintracht Frankfurt, and yet despite that, and, and despite a Bayern team who are who are going through transition, they look like they're going to win the league again, which is almost as much of an indictment as anything. Um, but from what people in Germany say is they, I mean, some of this is kind of just coincidence and the cyclical and just to always be, no matter how good your systems are, there'll just sometimes be lulls in the players you produce. But a lot of German coaches do say they are worried that their, their coaching level has actually stagnated and they're far too fixated on players who just have, who are technically very sound are very strong in possession and don't have much more. And that's one reason actually why they're so interested in English players because at the mo English football is currently, or the English system, is currently producing an abundance of fast, wide players, more than anything else. Just, again, because I suppose the, the, the way it's set up and Germany completely lacks that. So well, I thought it was intriguing. You say that, rightly so, about the English players mm. going over there, and then there was reports of some um, German officials and whatnot going over to St. George's Park mm. to see how they yeah. do it. And I thought... Well, the hunter has become the hunters, mm. didn't they? Um, it, was, it was quite satisfying. I mean, what do you think, Philippe? Um, I, I think there's an awful lot of it which is cyclic cyclical uh, mm -hmm. because um, the health of the, n of the, of the league is, yeah. is remarkable. Uh, well, they're making more money than they've ever made, so the success will always come where the money is. No matter how healthy that league is, it has a, a fundamental structural flaw because, because one club will always be massively mm. bigger than everyone else. And, and to the point that mm. this, this club has actually helped out other uh, German clubs or the Bundesliga clubs who are going through uh, a, a tough time supporting them financially. Uh, well, it's not helping out Dortmund by signing their best player every season, <laughs> is it? No, that's <laughs> true. But that's, 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 that's part of the problem. But what, what you were talking about, Miguel, the fact that they are producing all these Goetzers and, and Roycers, I mean, or clones of, uh, players who are not necessarily the strongest either physically or mentally is something which is having an impact. Uh, but I think we're making a little bit too much of it. Um, there, there is a, a discrepancy in level, certainly, even though it's an 18-team league. So it shows that having 18 teams in a competition doesn't necessarily make it more competitive or intense or whatever. Um, they, I, 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 I genuinely do believe that you have uh, this, that, that, that there is so much money going through the game, so healthy, that we're what, what we're seeing is what we saw in other countries before that. I mean, they already went through a similar cycle themselves. They got out of it with the reboot, as they said, after the 2000 uh, Euro and the 2002 World Cup. And you know, for a country which is in the not in the doldrums, because in doldrums means it's stagnating, it's going backwards in, in, in this case, they, they still were world champions mm. in 2014. And also, you could add that Joachim Löw has made some choices which, to say the least, well, but, uh, dubious. Love's always been a problem, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree dubious. with that. 
thank God we've been food right at last. <laughs> After years After of watch, the world watching Cup. the mediocrity winning tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. It only um, took one World Cup win to yeah. prove it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, but, but look I at I the number of players from the Confederations Cup, for example, which they won so, so handsomely. But I think this is, this is actually the really fascinating thing, that they, was, they were brilliant in the Confederations Cup. Absolutely. And I began to doubt my doubts about Lerf. And then, thank God, he proved me right in during <laughs> the World Cup itself. But it is entirely mismanagement by him. Because yeah. the players are there. You know, he took a reserve team to the, to the Confederations Cup. They then had sort of the reserves of the reserves playing in the under-21 tournament, which they got to the final of that year. Um, you know, they, they, the, 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 that, that Confederations Cup is only uh, two years ago. Yeah. And yet we're talking about the academy's not producing players anymore. Yeah. So th I, I think... And the Confederations well Cup, technically better than the World Cup because you have to win the World Cup to get <laughs> in it. So well, yeah, that's that's absolutely, yeah right. absolutely. It's a great show so that I we're going to see. I, I, I think the, the problems with the national team at the minute are significantly rooted in the coach. Yeah. Okay, there we are. Um, any more questions from. Uh, we'll have one right at the back, sir. Yes. Hello, yeah. <laughs> sure. Do you guys have like sort of obligations to kind of shift this narrative and, and kind of maybe attract a more diverse audience? And, and how do you do that? Sure. Uh, um, a great projection of your voice there, sir. Really appreciate that from the back of the room. Uh, but if anybody didn't hear that, talking about diversity I in football, in the media, and so on and so forth. Um, Suddenly feeling a little bit uh, awkward for uh, one. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I would say it's a bit of a specialist subject. I'm a, sure. I'm a member of the National Committee of the Football Writers Association, mm -hmm. and um, we are working on this very hard, as you can imagine. When I, as I hope you think we do, uh, I was also part of. I, I was taken part in the D Word uh, conference, which is organised by Leon Mann, which very much is focused on these kind of issues. And it is the situation is absolutely ridiculous when you look at the percentages and the way the trends are going. Um, in as much there's some, I mean, incredible underrepresentation uh, of ethnic minorities and, and women in the media, and which it is very difficult to do anything about at the moment, apart from some top-down action. So, for example, in our association, we've done it by deciding almost having. I wouldn't say positive discrimination, but making a conscious choice that we wanted to have on our board people who were more representative of the diversity of our profession, which was not the case before. It has changed. Uh, one thing we've done is we've started recruiting people at universities and colleges, people who want to write about football and to encourage them to, to go to us, engage as well with what I would call non-classical types of football reporting, etc., etc. But in the end, as John Barnes says, and John Barnes probably the most eloquent voice on this, it is not a football problem, it is not a media problem, it's a society problem. So we do our little bit, we do what we can, and, but on the other hand, even if you succeed, it's just like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to use uh, something that John Barnes told me, actually we were doing an interview about that just three weeks ago, and when he says, People are keep complaining about the lack of uh, black managers in the Premier League. And every time there is one who is named, it's a great victory for black managers. He said, no, it's a great victory for that individual. The same way that M when Meryl Streep gets an Oscar 
and say it's a great victory for women over the age of 70. It's not. It's a great victory for Meryl Streep. And this is where we are. The problem is not just football. The problem is not just the media. The problem is society. Yeah, absolutely well said, I think, um, Philippe there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, uh, anybody? Yeah, oh, go on then, right down the front. As an Arsenal fan, what what should you make of Unai Emery? You're not sure yourself. Yeah, you think he's done okay. Okay, Miguel, what do you think Unai Emery? Um, I think Tactical I genius. What he said, I think is he's he's obviously a very sound coach. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's, there's actually my issue when they appointed him, and I still think they should have gone for Arteta. Uh, I think there might have been it would have been more of a gamble, and maybe uh, even though I've just spoken about how United shouldn't appoint Solskjaer, but yeah. The, the, I mean, the issue with Emery is that ultimately he's not a Pochettino. And I do worry from his career whether he's basically he's a second-tier manager, and ultimately, which is almost reflected in the fact that his main success has been in the Europa League. And there was a sense of when they appointed him that Arsenal went from a club where the manager is a kind of a, a force, a figurehead of the club, to someone, well, here's just another piece in the jigsaw. Because that's, that's essentially what he is. And I know it's, again, superficial to fixate on something like this, but his press conference is the most boring thing I've ever been to. It's That's why you don't like him, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. Do you no, remember no, no, no. Jacques Santini at Tottenham? No, I was oh, okay, that was something else. But but, but I do. I just. I I'm not sure there's enough in his career to back him as potentially what Arsenal. Should, I mean, Arsenal have the resources, despite everything that's happening at the moment and all the discussion about the direction of the club. They should be. They should be one of the European super clubs that are challenging for their title, and. I can't see him lifting to that level. I think he'd be, he'd be perfectly sound, but it's just... And the football will often be good. They've played some great football this season, but there's just something missing. He did win the league Players? with PSG, though. Did win the league oh, with PSG. No, well what an achievement that is. <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. Oh, maybe a domestic treble, actually. Yeah. Brendan Rodgers being, being very harsh there, Mixie. Do think. You, think, you want to weigh in? Well, I just, I just think that... Um, yeah, you're right. He is a Europa League coach, but in a sense, in terms of expenditure at the moment, Arsenal acting like a Europa League club. And I think... Which is why they need something bigger. Well, they, they also then need to back that up with spending on players. Mm. And maybe, you know, he's never... Uh, you know, PSG had its own problems, but that's the only opportunity he's had at a club of, of that level. What he's done with Valencia and Sevilla was, was superb. And I think he's done, you know, given the players he's got, given the squad he's got... The fact that even in the battle for fourth at the minute, I think, is an achievement. Really? The fact that against the uh, United side of half the season were a shambles. Against Spurs, who still have fewer resources. By but it was Spurs are actually a counterexample to that. And that they have fewer resources than Arsenal, but they're like everything at that club is maximised. Yeah, but, but the difference there is... I mean, yeah, Spurs are mm. overperforming, that's clearly true. But they've been overperforming. They've got a structure that's been in place yeah. for three or four years now. Yeah. Whereas he's having to pick it up new. They've had all the issues with Mislintat um, and, and that whole recruitment programme seems to have fallen apart. Uh, Gazidis going as well, the, Milan, the yeah. loss of direction. You know, they're, they're still in the Europa League and they, they might get fourth. I don't know what else you want. Uh, and to about talking about Emery, I think it the best, games, uh, best game I've seen this season, we might be in agreement over this one, was the win over Tottenham. Suddenly Walsall, I doubt it. And he... <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal beat Tottenham 4-2 in an absolutely magnificent game and in which Emery got every single decision right over Pochettino. He won the he won the battle that day with a team that was on paper inferior, so I think you're a bit harsh as well. I think he's doing remarkably well. Stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Uh, we've got time for one more question before we get to half time. Uh, go on then, all the way at the back there in the corner. 
Yeah. Yeah, we gave the club <laughs> world cup a good showing. Yeah. Are you a representative of FIFA? <laughs> <laughs> All right. If yeah. Sure. So, so if we were to thank you very much, uh, if we were, to, or if you guys were to uh, restructure the European Cup, you know, the the the, the question I was saying, if you have too many uh, teams, it gets a bit bloated. Too little teams can produce elite sides around the continent how would you do it well I, I actually think the structure of the Champions League now is perfect but the problem is it's the structure it's the distribution of resources Absolutely. which is which has made it made the group stage bad um and restoring it to an all knockout wouldn't necessarily change and despite the romance and prestige of the old European Cup when it was pure champions and how much I I mean for the first few years the modern Champions League I resented that the change but now I actually think that'd be a a step backward because I think to actually have the best four teams from so many countries, I, I mean, it, it makes it such a high quality competition to the point the, the knockout stage of the Champions League, as we've seen from the past three seasons in particular, are probably the highest level of football we've ever seen. And it's entertainment and drama every single night. But the, I suppose the, the, the problem is that, that having those four clubs there and the way it's, the, the way it's organized means that there's just the, this increasing gap in European football, which means that the Champions League has become a problem, or the group stage has become a problem. Yeah, but but at the moment you're thinking. I, 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 I think yeah. I mean, yeah. Thir thirty-two teams, Not initial right. group stage. I, I do actually think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah I, I broadly agree with that. I mean, I think the issue is is entirely the distribution of revenue, which is not yeah. just a football issue, but you know, the, the the glory of the European Cup was you had teams from everywhere, and any team from any country, any sort of moderately sized country, you know, could win it. And now, you know, we haven't had a winner from outside the big. Four leagues since uh, Porto in 2004, yeah, Porto, yeah. and and you know it feels almost freakish now that we've got Ajax yeah. going. To you know, Ajax seven, won the thing seven leagues represented in the quarterfinals, I think. Something right, which is crazy. hasn't happened in over a decade. Yeah, um, so but it shouldn't feel freakish for Ajax yeah. to get to the quarterfinal. No, I mean Ajax have won the thing four times. But th th that's what's kind of frustrating about it now that. Now five, five leagues apparently. We're five leagues. Sorry, that. I was thinking of the. Um, you're the thinking of what you're going to have at the halftime break, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, no, 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 not, yeah, not yeah. quite. No. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know how you rectify that. Um, uh, what you could do, and I think the problem of um, a smaller team or a team from a smaller league going a long way in the competition, then suddenly having this enormous financial advantage, which then destroys a domestic league. I think the only way you really get around that is saying, whatever revenue a club gets half of that is distributed to the league yeah. or maybe even more than half of it but I mean, obviously nobody's ever going to agree to Th that that's the great modern frustration the Champions League in that sense that all the good teams are generally the ones we know and even like Monaco who are actually in relative terms quite a massive European club despite their crowd sizes mm -hmm. and it was still such a novelty that they put this kind of team that came out of nowhere two years ago and I, I mean even up to the early 2000s you would still get these kind of two, uh, I mean unfashionable clubs who were able to produce really exciting sides and well really good sides. Dynamo Kiev getting yeah, to the yeah. semi-final in 99, Nantes having the great yeah. run. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it happens. Yeah. But, but now it's... And then when it does happen, all you know, those players get, get taken. I mean, the Ajax are going to be picked apart in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Budget of 92 million at uh, Ajax, which is um, less than any Premier League club. And yeah, I know it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But by the way, one thing I would do, I would bring back the, the Cup Winners' Cup. <laughs> I o always, miss it always so a popular much. one among uh, Blizzard crowds. Um, <laughs> it's half time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much uh, for your questions thus far. Um, over.
here uh, it, in the corner of the room. There are T-shirts. There are uh, uh, issues of the Blizzard. Uh, copy the, the first ever, the original, uh, yeah, I believe. I don't know why they've turned up. I thought we'd sold out of them. But yeah, who would have thought? It was a box they on the back of a sofa. They, they, were, yeah, exactly. they were all under your bed. They're a real steal uh, because I've seen them being sold on eBay at extraordinary prices. Yeah, not recently, but well, okay. Well, there you are. So get your hold, get <laughs> hold of one. You, you can make a few quid. Boxes. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, copies of the Blizzard over there, T-shirts and whatnot. Have a drink. We'll be back in about fifteen minutes. Thank you very much.